What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, sports writer for Boston.com, and I am joined tonight by Jared Weiss, the athletic. Jared, what's going on, man? That's a me. That is you. <laughs> you are not Nicole Yang. I am not. I try, but I'm not. And it's one of those sad things in my life. <laughs> uh, before we started recording, you were firing off some potential like Nicole tryouts. Big Taylor Swift kick here, some Soul Cycle. Oh, but, I'm, um, I'm wearing a cardigan as we speak. <laughs> but we're pretty sure Nicole went to sleep. So uh, in her absence, uh, Jared and I are going to uh, talk a little bit about the first five games of the season, kind of break down what we've seen so far. But uh, before we get going, I mean, Jared, just uh, I obviously have not been around the team because I'm not allowed to be around human beings yet. What's it what's it been like being there, like like it kind of being, uh, you know, in the arena? What's the vibe been like? Just kind of take me through how TD Garden has been so far. It's funny because this is the first game since I stopped going. It, w- it was great at first, but you can't even hear what's happening on the court because they're playing piped in crowd noise. So it's actually less if I want to do my job, it's actually easier to do it from home than it is to do it in person. So I was mostly there to just get to be in, you know, what's basically home away from home from home for us. And, yep. you know, there's there's no greater feeling in the world of being in an empty giant arena at, you know, 1230 in the morning and just feeling the pure serenity and tranquility. So I, I wanted to get that fix in because I've been sitting in my apartment with eight and a half foot uh, ceilings. I don't even know if they're that high, honestly, probably less than that, you know, so I've been feeling kind of cramped up for the past year. I wanted to get that experience in. And, you know, when we're at the games, we're sitting in the usual press box, uh, which isn't, you know, not a bad view at all. You know, probably I'd say like middle of the pack for views in the NBA, maybe even on honestly upper middle compared to like MSG, where you you have to sit inside the asbestos and the ceiling there to watch the game. And they keep you trapped in these like glass boxes of emotion and you you know you have a, you have like this huge like kind of wall of plexiglass surrounding you or cube of plexiglass surrounding you so I, I appreciate the staff there trying to make it a safe environment for us but from an access perspective you know there, there's not much reason to be there so i went there to see Kyrie come back in the preseason went there to see the bucks and the nets in person uh they both looked pretty scary i got to see what i needed to see and now i'm ready to watch in my pajamas from home there you go. It, like, I, it's funny because I miss being at TD Garden, but the thing I really miss is like being in a locker room and being able to just like talk to people and get stories. And it's like, that's just not even plausible right now for, and for good reason, obviously. <laughs> like, yeah. Now I'm just firing off texts that don't get responded to. And that's my, uh, that's how I do journalism exactly. now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, texts that don't get responded to and then writing the same story as everybody else because we're all getting the same quotes. It's, uh, it's great right now, man. All right. Well, so, I mean, so far, obviously, the Celtics have had. Had, you know, a couple of, I guess I would say a uh, couple of somewhat disappointing performances like the, I mean, the Brooklyn game, obviously they just got worked. And then, you know, I think that they had plenty of opportunities and they're lost to Indiana, but I think overall there's been some encouraging signs, some less than encouraging signs. I mean, what, what stood out to you? Let's start with Brooklyn. Brooklyn, I feel like is the really interesting team that we've seen the Celtics play so far because twice now they've just looked like miles and miles and miles superior to the Celtics. What what were your impressions from that game and what's kind of your impression of, you know, the overall matchup between the Celtics and the Nets? That game was it was like watching it was kind of, it reminded me of when the LeBron Miami Heat came to the Garden for the first time and it was just like yeah. you watch them play and you're like I did, I forgot that this was possible. They they're that good. It's overwhelming to see that level of talent on the court at the same time because you just you forget Kevin Durant isn't just like another superstar 
When he's healthy, he's right up there as the best player in the entire NBA. And this partnership should unlock the best of Kyrie. And Kyrie's been saying all the right things that indicate that he's kind of actually recognized his past mistakes and not the leadership part, but really more his his playing style. That is his playing style was very wasteful. He just did a lot of you know flashy dribbling, would go into a lot of his go-to moves. When honestly, just being playing off the ball, being more efficient with his dribble, stuff like that would actually unlock a lot more for him. And he's been talking a lot about doing that kind of stuff. And we're seeing a little bit of it out there as he plays. And the dude looks better. And he's, I think he's, I don't know what his actual field goal percentage is right now, but the games I've been watching of him, he's shooting like 50% from the field, which is insane for a point guard. So yeah. th- this could be the Kyrie that Danny Ainge was talking about when he traded for him. You know, who, who would be a top 10 player in the NBA with another top five player in the NBA? And you put a really nice supporting cast around them. It's incredible. And the thing, I think the most notable thing was that their defense, which on paper coming into the season, you didn't think really they had any good defenders in their main rotation and their defense has been working out pretty fine so far, except for the night that we're recording this podcast where I think they gave up what 141 points or something like that. Uh, 141. Yeah. To Atlanta. Uh, But they scored 145. And I remember (laughs) joking with someone recently about, I think I was doing like some like preseason preview thing. I remember saying like, you know what? They might have to just win games 135 to 134 a lot of the time. And uh, they shot 54 for 100 against the, the, the Hawks. That's unbelievable. So that's what they're capable of. And we we know that Dinwiddie going down is going to hurt them, but they're also designed so that it doesn't really matter that much. Like it's not going to really change their ceiling at all. Yeah, exactly. Like Dinwiddie is like a nice piece, but like Spencer Dinwiddie is not the reason why the Brooklyn Nets are either going to win the championship or not win the championship. Like it's, it's their stars and then obviously it's their depth too. They're very, very deep. I thought it was interesting what you said about Kyrie being more efficient with his, with his dribbles. Like, People were kind of making fun of him because before the season, he's he and Durant were talking about Kyrie posting up, and Kyrie is like, I want to post up eight times a game and all that. Durant was like, maybe two and a half, but like that's kind of an example of what you're talking about. Because when Kyrie is in the post, I mean, he's really tough to guard, but but then he has to be efficient with his dribbles because he's only got you know like whatever his move is going to be. It's not like he's going to like dribble and back down and dribble and back down. He's gonna he's gonna do something quick with it. And Kyrie is such a brilliant basketball player that like when he does something quick and when he makes like quick decisions, he's I mean, devastating. That's I feel like that's when he's at his best. So I'm I'm with you. Like, I mean, I think I think Kevin Durant's the best basketball player in the world right now. I I think that like that team is like I saw a Celtics fan uh, tonight tweet out how annoying it was that like a couple of years or whatever it is after LeBron leaves the Eastern Conference. Like here comes Kevin Durant, who is I mean, back to his old self. Like he, he looks amazing. So Brooklyn is pretty clearly, I think, the class of the Eastern Conference right now. Milwaukee's really good, but if the playoffs started right now, I would feel pretty comfortable picking Brooklyn to come out of the East. And, you know, we'll see how the Celtics counter that. I think that I thought the second game, um, or, the, you know, the first regular season game, obviously, they got blown out down the stretch. I thought that they were more, a lot more competitive in that game the nets just give you no room for error and i feel like in a playoff series that's you know that the team that the team that has more room for error is so often the team that ends up winning but i I feel like that's kind of where this one would kind of shake out well they probably won't start double big again so (laughs) maybe that will help uh I mean, if they're going to start TLC, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Tristan Thompson was the answer for Kevin Durant. People forget he he did a fine job on Durant at the beginning of the game. It was just sure, the yeah. second half. It went terribly. And maybe Brad, 
I think Brad would have made been more decisive if it wasn't the first game of the season, but it was the first game of the season with the new players. He's like, I'm going to try this out. I don't really give a shit if I win this game. So exactly. yeah. So that that's why that happened. Then again, Brad left Ennis Cantor in the game for way too long. Like half of the Eastern conference finals and it probably cost him the Eastern conference finals. So maybe not, who knows, but nearly cost him the Eastern conference semifinals that too. But so, uh, well, if time, if, if it was this time, Lord, I'm sure time Lord would have gotten those minutes. We can get to that in a sec. Cause yeah. there's a lot to talk about there but yeah i mean the the nets are like clearly the best team and they're just amazing to watch and they haven't even really figured out how to play with each other yet they haven't really figured out what to do with karis lavert yet they're still playing deandre jordan over jared or they're starting him over jared allen even though jared allen is just so much better than him it's so so frustrating (laughs) it's it's so frustrating that like Kyrie and kd they gifted brooklyn them and which like completely threw off the entire NBA, but they were like, like we have to hamstring ourselves a little bit here because it would be too unfair to give you this juggernaut. So you have to waste ten million dollars on DeAndre Jordan when you already have a better, younger version of a money roster. Yeah, a hundred percent. Although, hey, uh, I mean DeAndre, no matter no matter what year it is, DeAndre Jordan will still be destroying the Celtics anyway because the Celtics sure. are always going to be undersized at the five, and he's always going to leap right over them. No question. Uh, all right, so we so we have uh, raved about the Nets, I think, sufficiently. Let's talk about the Celtics. Uh, uh, tonight we're recording this a few hours after they I think they had their best game of the season pretty uh I mean let's say make a case for the Milwaukee game the 30 point blowout's pretty good yeah for sure you can make a case for the Milwaukee game I mean against a G League uh, team much yeah. better yeah exactly like the uh, uh this was not a Memphis at, at its uh at its peak but but I mean, obviously, Jalen Brown, 42 points tonight, 15 for 21 shooting. One of the best games he's ever played. And I mean, just he just obviously caught a heater from three with seven for 10, which I believe raised his uh, three point percentage for the year by nearly 20 points. Uh, so pretty good. <laughs> Honestly, you know, in a lot of ways, I, I think we saw some of the most encouraging features of the Celtics this season, where if the defense is paying attention to Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown can go off. Like some nights, the young guys are going to look really good and they're going to show flashes of, of of what, you know, they might be able to do down the road. Peyton Pritchard looks good again. I thought Rob Williams looked pretty good. I guess, what do you kind of feel like you learned about the Celtics from this game? Because obviously not all of it is going to transfer over. Like Jalen Brown is probably not going to average 42 points per game the rest of the way. You know, I felt like there were some, you know, kind of genuinely encouraging signs. I mean, if you insist he's not going to average 42, then I guess he's not going to average 42. <laughs> Let, we'll work off the premise that he's not going to average 40 points a game. I mean, I think the biggest thing that we learned is not that Jalen can shoot the ball. Cause I don't want to say like, this was a, I, I guess it's even a more impressive 42 points if it came all on jump shots, but this was that he hit, I think like 12 jump shots in this game. Cause he had seven threes. I think like three, I think he hit about like 11 jump shots in this game. And then a basket where it was like a loose ball or an offensive rebound. He just put it back. Another one where he just had the position underneath the rim and they threw it into him and he just did the quick little catch and then put up. And then he had a transition bucket and the one where Time Lord uh, found him cutting from the baseline. And he had a real that was a nice finish through contact. Uh, But he honestly didn't have to hit that many tough shots in the paint in this game. This wasn't his most like difficult, high degree of difficulty shot making game of his career. He just hit like 
every single contested jumper that he took, which which is obviously really impressive. But this isn't like one of those games where he was just flying into the lane, hitting up and unders, doing those like 180 shots where he like spins off contact in the air and puts up a hook. Like those are the ones where you're like, that's the truly spectacular stuff. This is just him on fire. But it's good because it shows that, you know, his pull up jump shot game is at a point now where that can carry him to 20 points a night. And then if he can really get into the paint and make wreak havoc, that's when he can be getting up to 30. So I think he's showing that he could just he's a bona fide score. But what I thought was more important was the playmaking part. His footwork is so good now. And he had a spectacular answer to my question after the game. When I asked him what he's been working on for his footwork, and he said, nothing. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> It's like nothing, just doing the thing I always that do. That is what I always do. So, yeah. Um, so I think I have a gag order, honestly, with the media with the players right now. But so um his footwork is so much better. You just see him flying into spots and then just like hitting the brakes so delicately and changing direction. That play where I think like Grayson Allen hit him in the face and he like spun around and didn't move his pivot foot, somehow did like a 180 spin and then like off of the 180 spin, then kind of spun back the other way and then slip that bounce pass of Marcus Smart in the corner for the three. All sorts of just like ballerina type stuff that is like really outlier level level skill for an NBA player. There's very few NBA players in the that, that can move in that way, especially at 6'6 with a 40-inch vertical. Although sometimes when he jumps off of two feet, he has like a 20-inch vertical. It's very, really it's kind very of weird. Yeah, didn't he like miss a dunk or something like that tonight because he couldn't jump high enough? It was weird. I don't know but, if he missed a dunk tonight, but yeah, yeah. You're, you're 100% right. It's very weird. Yeah, like sometimes he jumps in the air and he's like Michael Jordan and sometimes he jumps, he like hits the front of the rim. It's really weird. But so what? Whatever. The point is, is that I think he's showing that he's an outlier athlete. He's one of the elite athletes in the league and his skill level is catching up to it now. And, you know, the fact that he's the playmaker, he led the team in assists tonight. It's like the fact that he's turning into a playmaker, I think, changes the perception of how this team can build as a core where yeah. it's not necessarily Tatum being the on ball playmaker and Brown being the complimentary off ball scorer, which is where Brown really thrives. But Brown is showing that he can operate on ball. I don't know if he can lead a lineup that can score against like a good playoff caliber team right now, but he's certainly a good enough score that you don't have to run the offense through Tatum. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. Like I, one of, one of the stats that I looked up tonight, like he is shooting 60% in the pick and roll according to the NBA right wow. now, 1.17 points per possession. So Jalen in the pick and roll is just hyper efficient this year. And that's, I mean, that's such a boost because one of the things that, that I feel like has happened over the last couple of games is like teams are starting to really focus on taking the ball out of Tatum's hands. Obviously Indiana was, you know, super focused on that. And if you've got the other guy who can run around screens and, and, and with, with the ball in his hands and get into the paint and, and make those shots or get to the rim, I mean, that's just so valuable. You know, like tonight's game, like, you know, again, a little bit of an outlier, but I, I think you're right. Like, I think that it, it changes the perception of the way the Celtics can build this team. Cause I mean, as, as recently as like a couple of weeks ago or like a couple of days ago, whenever it was like Nicole and I recorded a podcast where we've like very, you know, we're, we're very strong on the, on the position that they should probably trade for James Harden so that there was another guy on the team who could do, you know, who, who could take the pressure off Jason Tatum when teams start to double and who, you know, would be able to be that kind of on ball scorer. But like Jalen's doing that right now. Like Jalen is, he's been awesome. You know, he's, I mean, he's easily been the Celtics best player so far this year. The 
thing, and, and the thing about Tatum is that he, he's always he, he's a streaky player. Like he, he's really good, but like his hot streaks are real hot streaks. And I'm curious to see how this team is going to look when he hits his hot streak because he's still just kind of coasting right now. I don't think intentionally, but he is. You know, he is just kind of coasting. He's putting up like you know 20, 25, and it's it's kind of it's nothing crazy. Like it's like a, a good Tatum game. I mean, this is bad Tatum right now. The it Tatum's really is. A- Tatum's a 27 point scorer, which yeah. people I mean, people should recognize that scoring's up about five points a game now in the NBA. So like being a 30 point scorer used to mean that you were like probably the best scorer in the NBA. That's not what it is anymore. It means you're like a top eight scorer basically. So, you know, but Tatum should be a top 10 score in the NBA. He should be averaging 27 or so at least. So these nights where he's only putting up, what, what do you have 20 in this game? I think he had um, 16 tonight, but I mean, he was, Oh, that's right. He they were all, played. everybody was deferring to Jalen. So. He, he only played 23 minutes of this yeah. game he went six for 12 and three for five from deep that's actually yeah. certainly efficient so well he was he was really good in the first half like you yeah know, he had like i mean he had what like three threes in the in the first quarter like he was rolling but you're seeing that jalen is really seeking the lane he's really trying to get in there get contact he's he's ahead of jason in that and i think part of it was that jalen always had to do that yeah, he just he never he didn't have the pull up game that he could sit back on his uh, his mid range game was always just either a turnaround fade away from 17 or is him coming off of a dribble handoff to pull up off that first dribble from 18 feet. So he had to really force his way through the paint to get to the rim. And so he just always had a knack for being able to get through contact. Besides, he also couldn't dribble the ball. So he had to just like pick it up and ball through people. Uh, and so, yeah, I think he's just always been much better as a downhill player than, than Tatum is. And we're seeing it just like he's he's way ahead of him, mostly because, I mean, you don't have to do this, but Jalen will use like a pro hop move where he'll pick up his dribble on a hop land with two feet and then jump off of two feet from there jumping off of two feet is usually way better because even though it's not quite as quick as maintaining your stride and jumping off of one foot the way that tatum does it allows you to recenter your balance to change the position of your body to switch hands stuff like that it gives you a lot more variety when you're attacking and tatum got really good last year at finding his rhythm so that he knew how to get to a one foot takeoff and he knew kind of like the different shots he could take. Like he really had that down, but Jalen has just this like whole, you know, kind of like spectrum of different types of moves that he can make when he's getting into the lane because of the way that he attacks because of the way that he sets himself up. And so we're just seeing right now when neither of these guys really have a rhythm, it's just, it's a lot easier for Jalen to improvise when he gets into the lane because of the way that he plays. And I think it's just going to take a while for Tatum to get back there. But Tatum kind of has to make that evolution at some point if he's going to be, you know, the kind of MVP caliber player that we know he can be. Well, it's interesting that you say that about Jalen because, you know, especially about rhythm, I feel like a lot of times when the Celtics are bad and don't have a rhythm, it feels like that that's when, you know, Jalen, like, and this isn't like a knock on him at all. It's like Jalen kind of thrives in those moments because, so like the 2018-19 season, I mean, especially during the during the playoffs, you know, I thought that like Jalen was really kind of the only guy on the team who looked good, who, who like, you know, like did anything that productive realistically, especially against the Bucks. I, I think there's something to what you're saying there where it's like he doesn't always need rhythm. Whereas Tatum, I mean, you know, like when he's got rhythm, he's, I mean, he's one of the 
five best players in the NBA. Like during that, you know, January, February, March stretch last year, he was literally like player of the month in the Eastern Conference and it wasn't close. Like he was awesome. But I I think you're right about Tatum. I I think one thing that's interesting is we're seeing the variety of offense that Tatum could have, even while he's struggling a little bit or while he's not, you know, while he hasn't been that good. Obviously the Celtics love to play him in the pick and roll because it's, it's just really hard to guard the six foot nine guy who can hit from three and get to the rim. But he's also, you know, when, when he catches it at the elbow, he's borderline unstoppable, especially if there's like a smaller guy on him, if, if he does something smart with it. I, I, like, you know, in the post, he, he's so tough. And again, especially against smaller players, he's, he's so much stronger this year. I think that's really going to benefit him down the line. Like he's becoming this like multi, you know, when we talk about like three level scorers, I feel like we're usually talking about like, okay, he can hit pull-ups out of the pick and roll. He can hit threes and he can get to the rim. But Tatum's kind of becoming this different type of three-level scorer where he can sort of isolate from the elbow, you know, in, in ways that kind of remind you of Carmelo a little bit. He is devastating from three, especially out of the pick and roll. And, he, and he's, I mean, he's shown flashes, I guess, uh, of being able to score around the rim. He's not always super consistent with that. But it is kind of this like slightly different um, type of three-level scorer, which is a little bit more isolation-based. And that's not something that I feel like Jalen can really do. So, you know, it's interesting having that sort of tandem of two wings who, you know, again, are both like really talented scorers, but they're just they're just such different types of scorers, I guess, is is what I'm trying to get at here. You know, Tatum's a very similar player to Kevin Durant. You know, not not quite obviously not quite at that level physically and, and athletically. And he doesn't he doesn't quite have the instinct for contact because Durant, he still looks like a stick, but people forget like he was disturbingly skinny when he got to the league, yeah. <laughs> but he had a knack for throwing his arms into guys to get contact. He thrived off of it. Yeah, he was amazing at that. And Tatum doesn't have that instinct. He has this. Fin- I mean, look at that. That he took like the first fadeaway five footer in NBA history in this game. It was infuriating. He could have popped a quick little layup. Jonas Valanciunas under the rim. Jeff Teague's boxing him out, so Valanciunas can't even go up to really contest the shot. Tatum should have just tried to reach out, just like you know, finger roll it in. Instead, he pivots away and takes a fade away from the block. I'm like, what the hell is that? I've never, I've never seen anybody take that shot before. That's the second most infuriating shot that he's taken in the last two games because I think it, I think it was last game where he he ran up the floor in transition, got all the way to the hoop, did like the biggest stop pivot turnaround I've ever seen, and turned what should have been like Miles Turner, like he should have just driven into Miles Turner and drawn the foul because he probably would have gotten that foul. And instead, he turned it into like literally like a thirteen foot jumper. <laughs> like, yeah, he, he does that like, a lot. Like the difference between him and these guys, like Durant and Kawhi and Paul George, they attack to get fouled. Getting the shot off half the time is just like that's like your second option. You're attacking because you know you're the offensive player. The rules are set now that it's so hard not to get fouled. You have to try actively not to get fouled, which Tatum does. Tatum 100 He like actively <laughs> avoids getting fouled. He's got to recognize that a lot of the time he should be designing his attack in his head when he gets the ball to think of how can I do this rip through move here to get hit on the wrist and then throw my arms in the air and scream and I get the foul call. Like KD, you, I, what I love about watching KD play is he'll be like, give me a post up at 20 feet in the corner on the baseline, which is like the worst spot in the entire NBA. 
He's like, just give me the ball down there. Let me let me get to work. He gets to work on that guy, feels the guy reaching onto his body to protect himself, and just like swipes through and draws the KD foul. And he gets it every time. You know he's just getting the ball just to draw a foul on that guy, just to get that guy in foul trouble. So he can get, so then when he starts driving the rest of the game, they're backing off because they don't want to have to foul him and send him to the line for a three-point play. And that's when things get easy. He's thinking the game all the way through. So that's why he's using those couple minutes early in the first quarter to establish that. So it's like Tatum has to be thinking that way. And he isn't Tatum is amazing at thinking of how could you can see he's thinking of how can I get my teammates open and how can I create a good shot for myself? And we saw like they ran that play where they did a, a double screen on the elbow and the, the Grizzlies went up and tried to blitz it and Tatum just kind of bounced out and then whipped the pass the time Lord, the time Lord fumbled. That was an awesome play. That is not a play that you could that you would have thought like a year and a half ago Jason Tatum was capable of making ever in his career. He's already making that kind of stuff. So we're going to see him start to do some really exciting stuff as a playmaker and Jalen's doing it too. And that's great, but like he's also just got to he's got to know how to just like go work his way to the line for eight free throws a game. He's got to be playing with his head way more than with his feet, which is what he's doing for the most part. For sure. And I do feel like, I mean, you know, when we talk about Tatum, you know, he's 22, like, and, you know, when we thought, when you, when you talk, and, you know, he like, yes, yes, like, he's only 19 jokes, all that, but like. He's but, only 22 jokes will work pretty soon anyway. <laughs> true. Um, but, you know, realistically, he is, I mean, like, you know, again, like, not not to be funny, he is, he is only 22. And I think that, like, when you talk about thinking the game the way Kevin Durant does, that's not something, like, that is something that you sort of, like, learn as you play in the NBA, as you improve as an NBA player like I, I think that Tatum is going to learn how to do a lot of that stuff but that that is the big difference right now is, is that kind of thinking the game and, and just kind of having a feel for it too because I don't think that Kevin Durant is always uh, I mean who knows but I don't think he's always 100% consciously thinking okay I'm gonna like set up these next four possessions by drawing a foul right here but he, he's played a million NBA games and I think he's got a real feel for how to dominate right now Speaking of dominating, let's talk about Peyton Pritchard. Another, uh, another. He had his third uh, double-digit game in a row uh, today. Ten points. He's showing how good he is at getting to the hoop, at finding angles to finish around guys who are much taller than him. Uh, what has stood out to you about Pritchard so far? You know, I was just talking to someone from a front office in the Western Conference. Are we putting out this video? No. Okay, so you're wearing their T-shirt right now. And, um, but nobody gets to know what the shirt is. Uh, and it's, it's an NBA team shirt. And they had told me when they had texted me on draft night saying, uh, you're going to love Peyton Pritchard. He said, Bostonians are going to love Peyton Pritchard for the wrong reasons, but you're going to love him for the right reasons. (laughs) So Bostonians love that he's a scrappy white guy, but (laughs) I really love him because He's more athletic and quicker than I thought he was. And I think the thing that I got wrong on his scout, because I didn't have him in my top 35. And in hindsight, I would probably have him in the high 20s just because like, you know, at his age, you know, his ceiling is relatively low, but he's way quicker. uh, He's only 22. (laughs) <laughs> i thought he was 23 so he's 22 okay um he's 22 for the rest of this until mid-january I so yeah this is a, yesterday <laughs> but so he's only 22 so his first step is is faster than i thought it was in college what, what's weird about it is that it's faster it's literally looks faster than it did in college which i don't understand how that happens when you get to the nba and you're faster than the defenders in the nba it's not supposed to work that way that's been a huge surprise and his nose and traffic in the paint is really spectacular. 
I wrote a part of my story uh, after the game tonight. Uh, that play that he had where he got trapped in the middle of the paint and he did like a full 360 pivot. That was awesome. That's the kind of stuff that I just like chef's kiss when I see that. And that's that is a level of composure and balance and strength that you just never see from a rookie point guard, even if they are were a senior. You know, so for him to be that composed in traffic in the NBA, like that's especially which I can't remember if Valanciunas was on the court, but like Valanciunas is a big ass dude. Like yeah. you got to really be confident in yourself to be willing to like throw your body around with that guy. And so, yeah, so and, and, too many people that size in the Pac-12. Yeah, exactly. So I love that his skills it's, I thought it was just going to be, he's got a good pull-up game, has some decent court vision and has like a great killer mindset, but it's, it, it does seem like it's more than that. I, I do think he has enough skill that he, I mean, obviously will be a rotation player. He's already showing he's a rotation player, but you know, he's a guy that could be like a legitimate six man in the NBA potentially. Yeah. I mean, I think it was funny yesterday. I asked him, obviously he's, he likes to push the pace. And I asked him like, you like, you're really pushing the pace and you're, you know, you're keeping your composure, which you, you just mentioned, like, you know, uh, basically like, like, how do you do that when you're, when you have had no training camp or anything like that? And his answer was just kind of like, well, you know, I think it's my handle. And I was just like, yeah, of course it is Peyton. But like, is there anything else there? But realistically, that actually is it like he's just got a great handle and he I don't think he's the fastest dude in the world but I think he can run at his absolute top speed with the ball in his hands and just like get layups and like obviously there's a lot of like point guards who, who can do that but like I think that really is like something where it's just like like he can be at his absolute top sprint um you know and he can still kind of like keep a guy on his hip and he can still get to the rim and he can still finish even when he's going that fast you know I, I think that's actually like very valuable and and and, and I mean I, I'm impressed with his range I'm, I'm impressed with just his ability to, to shoot off the dribble I think all that stuff's going to come together really nicely for him so yeah I think you know like you said he's a rotation player already I, I don't think it's impossible that even Brad Stevens, who does not like to play rookies all the time, I would not be surprised if we got a look at like Pritchard starting, especially as Kemba's out, if the Celtics have to go small again, Teague was fine, but I, I don't think it's crazy to say that, you know, Pritchard might get in there. So, I mean, he's possible. I, I mean, Teague's working really hard on defense right now. So, and, and we saw in this game, yeah. <laughs> that was got to be the most steals he's ever had in a single game. And the Celtics had what, like 17 steals in that game. That was pretty nuts. This is what's really impressive. The Celtics had nine guys with a steal in this game. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and Teague's leading the pack on that. Pritchard had two himself. What you were saying about his speed, I think that there's two reasons why that's not that vital to his career growth, I guess, is that one, he's not going to be the main point guard on the floor a lot of the time. I think he's going to be playing with another point guard a lot. And then also, he's a good power dribbler. He's good at pushing off defenders and keeping defenders on his hip and staying balanced. And he's completely ambidextrous as far as I can tell. I don't know about his finishing, but at least with his handling, he is. And so he has enough variety and enough like power and balance that he doesn't have to beat the defender down the court he, just, he can still control a defender and so that's fine he's not gonna i mean how often is he gonna be playing in transition if he's playing in the second unit he's playing with rob williams and rob williams is going to be leaking out so you could just throw ahead to rob williams half the time or jalen brown you know stuff like that so yeah I, I don't think that's even going to factor in that much for him but what's good is it just it shows that his handle and athleticism translates to the half court game really well and he's thriving in the half court for 
for sure. Sure. You mentioned Rob Williams. I've kind of been impressed with him the last, like, I guess two out of the last three games, he didn't play that much in the the second Indiana game. The first two games of the season, I was, I very much thought to myself, like, well, this is probably like Rob Williams last season with the Celtics. Like, like who knows uh, where he ends up next year. Like, I don't know. I, I thought that I guess, especially against Sabonis, I thought he had some really nice moments. Obviously he had the kind of mistake on that last defensive possession, but I thought he countered Sabonis' size pretty well with his athleticism. And I, I thought, I mean, most importantly, he's just swiping less, much less. And, and, and when he does swipe, it's much less damaging. It's not completely taking him out of the play or forcing him to pick up his, you know, sixth foul in four minutes. Like, I feel like he's just been a lot smarter. That was, that was like the thing that he, he just needed to stop swiping and stop jumping for everything. And if he <laughs> could do that, like he could literally just be a starting NBA center. I don't know. I mean, it's way too early to say, but I think that again, two out of the last three games, he's shown some flashes of, I don't want to say flashes. Cause that's like what he's always shown, right. Is like glimpses of potential, but like he's actually started to piece those together the last couple of games in a way that I think has been pretty encouraging. These teams aren't quite pick and roll teams with deadly attacking wings like those other teams were. So it's not, it's not really putting him in the, in the tough spots where he was before, right. Right. but you know, like, this is how I've been saying it with him. As long as the ball's in front of Rob Williams, he's really good. <laughs> The hard part is keeping the ball in front of them. And so, you know, Philly, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, they had no problem getting there past them. He has been, I think it's been revelatory these past few games. This has been huge because one of the big things we're seeing is he talked about improving his core strength over the offseason. And we're seeing him, he's not swiping as much because he's literally not getting hit in the stomach and then keeling over and having his body just like bend forward when he would get hit. A lot of his swiping was that like, it seemed like he was compensating for the fact that he couldn't physically handle the contact. And so he was like just trying to swipe because he felt like he couldn't like make an impact with his body. And we're seeing now he's chesting up guys and it's working really well. He's taking the shoulder right to the chest and he's going straight up with it. That is the big adjustment that he had to make. And even on that play where he, where he blew it, quote unquote, I went back and rewatched it. I thought Grant Williams blew the coverage or Grant Williams should have adjusted. I thought it was Grant's fault. Rob got right back on a Sabonis. He reacted immediately, really quick reaction that he wouldn't have made last year. Got right on Sabonis. And so when the first time Sabonis tried to hit him on the first dribble, he actually like very slyly kind of like evaded it, kind of like stepped back from it and didn't foul him that time. And then when he did foul Sabonis, he went straight up and didn't swipe down. He went vertical from his spot, but just like Sabonis was just driving right through him. So Sabonis was going to get the call, obviously. But I thought he defended that as well as he could have. I thought the problem with his his initial step back was that that allowed Sabonis to get right where it was like he was going to get the layup. Regardless, I, I'm glad you brought up the, the thing about Rob's uh, Rob working on his core because when he said that preseason, I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard because like people were asking him like, "So what'd you work on this offseason?" He was basically just like, "Strengthen my core." Went for you know, ran a couple miles every day. <laughs> like that was like all he said. It's like, did you just do sit ups and like run? Was that like <laughs> all you did this offseason, dude? But actually, like I, I think you're right. Like I think that that's made a huge difference. So shout out to whatever trainer that was because one, that gave me a really good laugh on uh, media day. <laughs> but two, it actually has made a big difference, and he's a lot better as a result. 
Like he, he looks stronger, even though I don't think he looks like bigger. Like he's just like, he's a lot more sturdy, a lot more solid um, in ways that he definitely was not last year. I mean, you, you're also hundred percent right that uh, like, let's see him play against teams that uh, can actually like attack him out of the pick and roll, especially on the wing. But I mean, I think that's part of the problem for the Celtics with the tough early schedule is that some of these guys just looked like unplayable early because they were playing against like legitimate title contenders and like, yeah, like when you throw a, you know, a young player out there or like a player like Rob, who who's only played, I mean, he's played what, like he's probably played like 40, 50 games in his entire NBA career. Even I think he played like 61 games coming into this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's played like 61 games, like in two total years. It's crazy. in two yeah. years, like, like low key, almost a rookie still. So like when you throw some of these young guys out there, like, you know, Pritchard or Neesmith and the little bit of time he got or, or, or Rob, like, yeah, they might not look that good against the Brooklyn Nets who are like somehow already a fully realized NBA team um you know as the season goes on I think there's like a lot of like room for improvement and, and like you said like a lot of uh, a lot of potential especially for Rob 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 is getting more minutes against first and second units now than he has in his entire career he's probably gotten more minutes against starting players in the NBA in the last like two weeks than he had in his entire career before that so yeah that's I think him just staying healthy, which we'll presume, but obviously that's a given. We'll see it when it happens. Him just staying healthy and continuing to build on this momentum and not coming in and out of the lineup, knowing that he's reliably going to be either starting or coming in and playing 20 minutes, that he's going to build off of that momentum and that's going to be huge for him. So we could see him make a pretty big evolution this year just because, I mean, for one, he's barely improved since he got to the league, but two, it's like he has more opportunity now to have that momentum and really build off of that than he ever has before. Definitely. Two more things I got for you here before we get going. I'm curious what you think. When Kemba comes back, I feel like that one of the reasons that Jalen has been so good is because he's been so high usage. They're putting the ball in his hands. They're letting him run a lot of stuff, and he's really good at it. Obviously, when Kemba Walker comes back, some of that usage is going to go down because the ball will be in Kemba Walker's hands a little bit more. And certainly Kemba can play like off the ball some along with, you know, Jalen Jason. But I'm curious, like what you think. I mean, obviously we can't know yet, but I'm curious what you think that might look like when Kemba comes back. Like, do we think that Jalen might suffer a little bit? Not really, because he's been playing with Tyson Thompson, which has been terrible spacing. True. Um, and then he was playing with Teague, who has not been shooting that well. So it's I think it's just going to be better for him. I think he's still going to handle the ball plenty. They're going to take as much pressure off of Kemba as they're going to be as they can for the first few months of the season anyway. And Smart's been doing a fine job running point, but it's not like the point guard that's been running the show with Kemba out is like someone who doesn't really assert himself into the offense. Like Marcus, Marcus is very committed to being a high usage guy uh, as much as he can. So it'll I will sure. say, I, I pointed this out in my notes tonight. I think tonight was Smart's first heat check of the season. Like it took him five games to have his first like real heat check of the season. Okay. Can we talk about that heat check? It was, I know it was one of your favorite shots. Of the game. <laughs> it's that this guy, I love, I love Marcus, but he, what he does, he's bad at doing heat checks. Cause what he doesn't get really is bad. that when you're on fire, that doesn't mean you can then take a terrible shot. It just means you can take another shot, even if it's contested. What he does is when he's on fire, he's like, okay, then I'm just going to like take a pull up 30 footer out of nowhere, which is a shot I never take any other time ever. 
It's like when you have a heat check, what you do is you keep going to your go-to shots and you just don't care if they're contested because you don't right. even feel the defender there. But for him, it was, all right, I'm going to come off of this handoff and just pull up from 30 feet and almost airball the shot. Like it was the funny part was it wasn't like it was short in the front rim. It like barely caught the side of the rim. It was yeah, so he bad. It, off. it was one of those yeah. like off the side of the backboard. Thank you. Bonk. Great. Bonk is the perfect word for it. I haven't yeah. heard that word in years. It's perfect. <laughs> I respected it deeply uh, as somebody <laughs> who has bonked a couple of heat checks in my day. I thought it was great. I disagree with you strongly that you should keep taking the shots that got you there. I think you should just keep hoisting harder and harder shots until you miss one, because <laughs> otherwise, how can you know what your limit is? So, that is true. That's true. You know, I had somebody tweet at me like, why, why does he always have to, to take the heat check? Why can't he just be happy with two? And I was like, zero disrespects, like absolutely no disrespect at all. My dude, you have never like gotten hot from three because like <laughs> it is never enough. You will keep shooting until you finally miss one. So no, um, nobody gets a million dollars and is like, I don't want another million dollars. You, know, you like, want to keep going. Like, let's keep riding this. Yeah, uh, it's, it's how Vegas makes their money. Like ride the hot hand until you lose it all. Yeah. You um, don't win 20 at the blackjack table and walk away, you know, but down 40. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. To bring that all the way back. I agree with you that I, I think like Kemba's only going to be good for Jalen and Jason. I, I'm I'll just be curious to see like if uh, maybe it takes a couple of games to kind of to kind of get used to the new dynamic. But I am I mean, I do think that there's a ton of potential for this team to be really good offensively when that happens. All right. Well, uh, Jared, give me give me any anything else that you want to give me and then also give me 30 seconds. Yay or nay on James Harden. I'm a. <sighs> I, I, I've talked to a lot of people around the league about this today, actually. Um, everyone that I've talked to is completely on the fence about whether the Celtics should trade Jalen for Harden. Obviously, you don't trade Tatum for Harden. Like, that's a no, no-brainer. Sure. Um, and I think Jalen's not that far off. I mean, based on everything we just said, clearly he's not that far off. So... <sighs> I'm one of those people that is like, you always want to make the move for the MVP caliber player that you just, you don't appreciate how great an MVP caliber player is until you see them up close and you're like, that's why you're an MVP. Hmm. Harden's just in this unique position where he's just old enough now and he's had too many times in the playoffs where the extreme heliocentricity just burned him out and he couldn't deliver. There's just like it's he has a very complicated legacy right now, and this isn't like acquiring him entering his prime the way that like Brooklyn is doing with Kyrie, yeah. where like Kyrie's 28 or 29, I think, and it's like now he's like entering his prime. It's not that kind of situation, and he doesn't have Harden's not like a two way player either. So it's it's like it would be one thing if Harden was a two way player, I'd, it would be much easier. Like if this was like Kawhi, I feel like it would be a much I, I would do it, but. He's not, and I think the Jalen and Jason core can be a perennial contender, especially as some of these current like prime leading guys, you know, fade out. Like KD is going to fade out in a couple years. You know, KD will probably be great until he's thirty six. So I guess he's got four years left. So I guess as as Jalen and Jason are hitting their prime and they're ready to lead a championship team, which they could get to before they hit their prime. I mean, yeah. I could see them winning. I mean, obviously they almost won the championship last year. Like they <laughs> they made it to game six of the conference finals. So like it's not like it's that far off for them. But obviously we know this team has to make the, they have to turn that trade exception into something pretty spectacular if they're gonna get back to that point. And the East is better 
now. The Nets are way better than any of these other teams that have been at that level, except I guess Milwaukee in the regular season last year, but then they faltered in the playoffs. So we'll see if they're better this year. But so, you know, I, I could see the Celtics winning the championship in a couple of years with its current core, or very quickly that could change if they make the right move. But with Harden, you feel like it's like this year or next year or bust. It has to happen right now. And if they trade for Harden, I feel like they have to trade Kemba Walker as well. And it's really hard to get the right pieces you want around uh, Harden trading away an older point guard with injury issues, with arth- what appears to be arthritis issues that are keeping him out, and get good value Which on a market where everyone knows that you're desperate to trade the guy and the market's already oversaturated with point guards like that. So it's like it's really hard to trade for Harden and really put enough pieces around them that they can win the title right now. So I don't see a clear path to them winning the championship right now. So I would rather just not do it. The only other argument that makes it more complicated is do you do that as a deterrent from the Nets getting him yeah. where you know if the Nets can retain Kyrie and KD and get him that I mean that that I guess that's Maybe the Miami comparison uh... <laughs> I think that's better than Miami <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they're even better. Well, I don't know, because as great as KD is, he's not quite prime LeBron. I mean, prime LeBron is the best player I've ever seen. So, you know, it's but like, you know, it's incalculable. Yeah. You know, it's it's incomprehensible. And so, you know, I think you're best off doing what's best for you, irrespective of what's happening around you. That's generally how I think. And I think that's how they've operated. You know, they've been willing to let whatever happens happens just to like take care of themselves and try to be the you know, try to maximize who they are, regardless of who gets built up around them. Because frankly, those teams that get thrown together, they also fall apart really quickly, too, because the bot, you know, the, the glue isn't quite there the way that it is like with the Celtics core as it is now. So let it happen. If Philly trades for him, I, I, I really hope the trade is I hope they trade Ben Simmons for him just because I think it'll be thrilling to see him and Embiid together. Embiid has been like, the guy that I staked my reputation on when I was first coming up, basically. Um, and uh, when he was in the draft, I'm like, this guy is the, clearly the best player in the draft and is the best big to enter the league since Tim Duncan. It was true, except that there's a lot of you know flaws to his game and the way the league has evolved, and they haven't put the right team around him. And Harden, I think, could unlock him better than anybody else that's been in the NBA since he's been alive, basically. So I really hope that's the, how it happens because it could make Philly the best team in the league, it would even things out a lot more. And so it would just make it more competitive. There wouldn't be one team that was just so like unbelievably clearly above everybody else. I think that would make it the most exciting. I think, yeah, I think those are good thoughts. I mean, I, I guess I've got clearly, I've gone back and forth on it because like on the podcast, like three days ago, I was saying they should definitely trade for him. Give me the, give me the definitely trade for him argument. Okay. So I think the definitely trade for him argument is, you know, you know, an MVP candidate when you see one, like, because they're just, different like breed of basketball player like it's just a you know it's another thing altogether James Harden is that James Harden has that sort of like inevitability where like he, he's gonna give you 30 like you, you know that he's gonna give you 30 plus and whatever and then 10 yeah I mean <laughs> fat James Harden uh who didn't want to be in Houston started off the season <laughs> with 44 and 17 like he's just so crazy if anyone else puts up 44 and 17 you're like this guy's gonna change the world when james harden does it he's like yeah good game for james harden good game james like that's that's what an mvp is that's an mvp exactly so i mean that that's number one i think number two is what you what you said about deterrence like keeping him away from 
I mean, I, I just think that Philly with Embiid and Harden, like that fit is is so tough. Like it, it maximizes Embiid in ways the Celtics haven't seen yet because the Celtics keep facing Embiid with when the other, you know, great player on his team just does not fit with him at all. And they're not running pick and roll with him. And they're not running pick and roll. And like yeah. you, would, you would be putting Embiid with like, you know, one of the great pick and roll scorers of all time. So uh, like, I, I think that like the, the Philly thing would be scary. Obviously the, uh, the Brooklyn thing would be scary. Like if you're, if you're the Celtics, like if he goes to one of those two, you know, you're not winning the title this year because those teams are nasty. And then I think the other thing too is like, yeah, there's some risk. Like, okay, if you might be looking at this year and next year as your title window, but I think if you do win the title, or if you do go to at least go to the finals and have a competitive finals, I think there's a lot to be said for getting Jason Tatum to the point where he has been to the finals, where he's kind of cracked through that Eastern Conference Finals uh, ceiling that he's that he's had so far. I think that that can happen organically with Jalen down the road. Um, you know, if the Celtics build the right team, I think that's possible. But I, I think there's value to, to Tatum getting to that level quickly. I think you look at those three things and, and just how tough the Celtics would be to guard with two guys who command a double team. It's a good offense. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty tough. No, it, team. It, it would be very nice if four defenders are guarding those two guys. And then there was one defender that guard the other three guys. Yeah, Rob he, Williams is just going to be, yeah. as long as Peyton Pritchard stays in bounds, I think that would work. <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, yeah. Well, but, two games in a row now, although I will say that he threw a pass to Aaron Neesmith who was out of bounds. I believe tonight. So that, that should count against him. Well, he's a rookie. He has to step out of bounds. It's part of his contract. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't look at Tatum getting early finals experience as a silver lining for mortgaging the future. So if they were, if they were to not win the championship, it would be a catastrophic failure, regardless of that, helping him kind of cross that threshold a little bit earlier, or even just crossing that threshold. I don't think the difference between what he did last year in the conference finals in him having done that in the finals against the Lakers, it wouldn't have changed his trajectory of his career that much. He's already getting this experience of facing elite defenses in the playoffs, deep into the playoffs, and trying to win that chess match. And he's doing a he did a really good job of it for a twenty whatever twenty two year old. I think it's still at the time. You know, he did a better job as a twenty two year old of navigating those waters, and almost every player in NBA history has so far. So. Um, I mean, there's very few that have had to do what he had to do. So, yeah, I, I think Tatum just he's on the track of being, you know, a top five player in the league and MVP champion. Like, I think it's pretty clear he's on that track, whether he actually wins the championship or not. That's, you know, who knows? But so that's why, yeah, it's worth it is totally worth trading Jalen Brown for James Harden. If you win the championship, you win in one championship, do whatever it takes. Doesn't matter. Yeah. 1819 we thought this team was going to yeah. win the championship and it fell <laughs> apart and and the future fell apart too. And I think that's reason number 4 I guess or 5 or whatever I was on why you know you potentially trade for Harden if you think that he's going to be if you think I guess this is where it's broken down for me. I think you have to trade for Harden if you think that he is for sure going to make your team like a contender right now if only because like the Celtics have seen very clearly how uncertain the future can be. But uh, I guess the question is how close you think Jalen Brown can be not to James Harden, but to that other star that Tatum, you know, needs to get to the finals because it was always, you know, possible that Jalen would get there. But now we're starting to see, I think this season, it's a lot more possible. It's, it's not necessarily an MJ and Scotty situation. No, it, it's you know, not. It could be a much more even situation than that. Yeah. This core is good enough to do it. And don't forget, presumably, if they ha if they were to trade for Harden, Smart would have to be in that deal, too. It's possible they could do it without him. But Smart, I don't think 
I, I'm I think we're both pretty high on Smart's value. I um especially in the playoffs. You know, I mean, what he does in the playoffs on defense is you know, there's yeah. very few players that have ever been able to do that. So. James Harden, imagine James Harden in the East not having to be guarded by Marcus Smart compared to James Harden having to be guarded by Marcus Smart. It really unleashes him. You know, if they can do it, like adding Smart to that trade definitely materially affects that, the way you assess that trade. I think if they make the trade, they're basically, I think they feel that Tatum's ready to win the championship now. And he's going to keep building off of that. And I'm not sure if that's quite the case. And maybe him being ready next year is enough. And I just, I'm looking at the box score from tonight and I'm looking at this roster. I'm like, how does this roster win with James Harden? It's just, it's just not enough. That is, that is a problem for sure. But I think, and I think the other thing too, though, is, is what like Jalen Brown has just the last few games, like Jalen Brown just shown. So like, I feel like he's just shown so much growth that feels like sustainable and feels real. Like it doesn't, it's not like a hot, I mean, tonight was a hot shooting night, but it's all of his success isn't just hot shooting it's like that's real it's genuine growth and yeah and we've, we've been seeing this developing for some time now it's not it was, sure. it's not coming out of nowhere I, it's not coming out of nowhere i would say that the leap that he made from last year to this year with like a month and a half off season like it's not out of nowhere but it's like it, i think it's particularly impressive like it, why, why are all these players coming in with new skills they didn't have enough hard. time i don't get it <laughs> I was like, one of the things I knew coming into the season was like, all these guys are going to be exactly the same as they were two months ago. That's, and that's no, it's exactly like where I was at. Yeah. Jalen's so much better than he was last year. It's it's crazy. 100%. No. Well, I will say that uh, in, the, in the two months off, I learned how to do drywall. So it is possible to pick up new <laughs> skills, at least at a rudimentary level. And uh, I learned minimalist interior design in that time. There you go. <laughs> I'm trying to take like, Let's collaborate, man. I can <laughs> uh, just do the, the drywall stuff and then you can make it look nice. I actually might have a drywall job for you in my new apartment. The living room has these like two weird little cutouts that would make amazing closets, but they're just like open space. So I'm trying to figure out how do I turn that into a closet so I can fit more store because i'm i'm moving into one of those like fancy buildings in the city where you have like not like, you have no room to store stuff and they have storage units for a hundred dollars a month i'm like like there ain't no way in hell i'm paying a hundred dollars a month to fit my golf clubs in my apartment so <laughs> i gotta figure out some sort of alternative well i feel like a swanky uh boston apartment would be super stoked to have somebody come in and, and just be like yeah i'm here to uh, build a build a new closet uh, <laughs> they told me i could drill whatever i wanted to the wall they didn't specify ooh. if the wall had to exist beforehand right right so. yeah you can drill whatever you want in the wall including studs so it'll be great <laughs> all right guys well we will leave it there thank you guys for listening as always uh feel free to get in touch let us know questions comments concerns and we will talk to you all soon